Okay, we're we're recording. Yes, you can begin the timeshare sales. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is some episode or another, but we're live. This is the Legendarium live in Portland, Oregon. Today is a date, May 28th, May 28th, 2022, the inaugural Legendarium Con. Uh, so for everybody listening, I wish you were here. For everybody here, congratulations. You'll be able to say when this thing is massive, you know, and we're pulling in 80,000 people to Legendarium Con, you'll be like, right, but I was at the first one. Madison so, Square Garden, 2027. Here we go. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, you yeah, know, uh, welcome to those in the room and welcome to those listening at home. Today, we're going to essentially just do a live episode kind of similar to what we would do otherwise. Um, but we'll, you know, live studio audience should be a lot of fun. I guess we'll see where it goes. Today we are talking about Stardust. <laughs> Neil Gaiman's Stardust. This is actually a surprise to the people in the room. I think most, maybe somebody heard. But uh, surprise to us. <laughs> <laughs> On the way up to Portland. <laughs> so, so we drove from Salt Lake to Portland and we're, we're talking about, hey, what should we do for our episode? And we said, you know what? We could do, we could listen to Stardust. The, all the way through on this drive. So we did. Um, I'd read it before. I, it, Ryan, had you read it before? I hadn't read it before. I'd seen it. Oh, wait, I have to introduce you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Insult me. I'm not broken yet. <laughs> I'm your host, Craig Hanks. And over there, unfortunately, we're on this side of the wall, which explains why she's such a lump of rock. It's Stephanie Bruckman. Hi. I... Lumps don't <laughs> talk, Stephanie. Well, I'm going to go back into my corner. <laughs> and for Victoria's hand in marriage, I would travel all the way to his house and punch him right in the face. It's Ryan Bruckman. <laughs> Is that how you got Sarah to come? <laughs> so, uh, okay, yeah, now we're done with that part. Um, yeah, we're talking about Stardust. I figured we would talk about both the book and the movie. It's, uh, it's a very popular movie. I'm assuming most people have seen it. If you haven't read it, it's really, don't worry about spoilers or anything. It's very standard fairy tale. So, you know, it, I, I wouldn't worry about spoilers. Part of the reason why I think it's okay for us to spring this on people like this. Mm. Um, anyway, so Stardust, uh, yeah, like I said, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's tropey kind of, it, it's like, it's almost anti-tropey, uh, in a way. So it, tell, it tells the story of Tristran, who's, uh, he's kind of a shop hand in this little village in England. Uh, and it turns out he's uh, the son of his English father and this fairy princess uh, who lives on the other side of the wall. Um, and he's growing up in this quiet little English town and he wants to marry Victoria. And she tells him, you know, she's a very snooty girl, uh, kind of a little stuck up. And she tells him, hey, if you go retrieve that star that we just saw fall, you know, on the horizon. If you go get that and bring it back to me, I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, sure, I'll kiss you. Sure, I'll marry you. Whatever. So he goes and he does it. He crosses the wall and he goes into the land of fairy and has all sorts of adventures um, and meets the fallen star, who it turns out is a lovely young woman who he falls in love with uh, on the journey back to his village. Uh, so he and the the star live happily ever after. Um, 
And so does Victoria. I was really surprised by the ending of this book. I really and, wouldn't say they lived happily ever after because he dies by the end of the book and Vane <laughs> lives that's forever. True. <laughs> so anyway, no, but I'm just trying to trying to give a little little recap. But anyway, uh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's a just a lovely, lovely fairy tale movie. Um, and then I read the book. So the movie came out, I want to say, in 2008, maybe? Something like that? 07. Okay, cool. So I read the book maybe a year or two later. I saw it on the shelf at the bookstore. Oh, yeah, that's what a wonderful movie. I pulled the book down, went home, read it, hated it. Hated it. Um, but then I realized, you know, years later, especially after we started doing this podcast, that I was probably too young at that point to really give the book a fair reading. And so I've always meant to go back and reread it. So we listened to it on our drive up here to Portland, and I loved it. <laughs> Absolutely loved it. Delightful book. Ryan, Stephanie, what did you guys think of it? I honestly was not... Sleeping? I slept through... We all slept through yeah, part of the part book. Of the <laughs> <laughs> it's an 11-hour drive. Neil Gaiman's voice is sultry and low. <laughs> we all definitely fell asleep at some point. Um, I wasn't all that impressed. I love Neil Gaiman. I've listened to several of his books. I love his style. This one, I I love the movie, and I just think the movie tells a better story. So I was unimpressed with the story that the book told, because I think the movie did it better. Right. Uh, I think actually, not so much that I didn't like it or anything. I I really did enjoy it, um, but I do feel like. This is one of the few instances where the author's given a chance to revisit their work after it's already published mm -hmm. and make some adjustments to tell a stronger story. Because he was involved in the film and yeah, the script. He was. And I think ultimately we did get a, a little bit more out of that. But uh, this one is still a great story told very well. Um, I, I do love the fact that uh, part of the beauty of reading this is that you are it's, it's specifically his style, Neil Gaiman's style of writing. Um, there's a little bit of quirkiness to it. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, sarcasm and humor in the writing that you don't normally get in just fairy tale type stories in a lot of pieces. And it's fun to get that in the story in the way that Tristan interacts with things, with the way characters come in. And I really found myself enjoying as we were listening through on the way up to uh, a lot of these moments where I'm sitting here going, you know, this reminds me of, you know, a moment in Good Omens, or this reminds me of uh, this thing, which I, I all tie into his work that's, you know, uh, his work tells and uh, influences of Terry Pratchett and things like that. So uh, I would ha happily read it again, would absolutely recommend it to other people to enjoy. Mm. Um, but there was a little bit of, especially as you got to the end of it, where I was kind of like, I expected a little bit more, I expected a little bit more out of that. I was, I, one of the things I love is the idea of the book versus the movie. And like you said, Stephanie, a chance for him to revisit. Um, and it, you could look at it, look at it as a chance for him to improve on what he had already done, but I might say it's just it's a chance for him to write the same story for a different medium. And so, what is he going to expand on, and then what kind of you know gets? I wish I chomped. had read the book before I had seen the movie. This is the first time I've read, listened to the book. It's right. The first time through the book, I've seen the movie several times. I wish I had read through the book first interesting and i think i might have really enjoyed the book mm -hmm. and then i could have watched the movie and really enjoyed the movie where now i'm like okay i've seen the movie and i think it's a better story with a stronger story arc 
And so now the book seems a little lacking. To but me. I wonder if that would change with a reread of the book. That, you know, because you've seen the movie several times, you know the movie. Um, and so if you read the book a few times, you, just like with movies, you start to pick up on mm -hmm. things. Um, maybe. I mean, maybe not. But anyway, no, but this idea of, of the different mediums, yeah. media, whatever it is. I know words. Very smart. Uh, <laughs> smart people have to tell themselves that all the time. Uh, and others. <laughs> uh, no, the things that that he felt like he needed to simplify for the movie. Um, you know, and I'm sure the producers had a big hand in that. Like, okay, no, you can't name him Tristram. That's very awkward on the tongue. Mm -hmm. You know, no, it's Tristan now, right? And so it's it's simplifying it. It's dumbing it down a little bit. Um, the, the character of Victoria is much more nuanced and interesting in the book than she is in the movie. She is, like, she exists kind of as a counterpoint to Tristan, um, a, a way for you to measure his progress in the story. And that's all she is. Like, she's not much of a, a character in herself in the movie. Um, but in the book, she's quite nuanced. And, and uh, I one of my favorite parts, I, I think I paused the book mm -hmm. and I was like, I have to talk about this just so I remember it because I was driving and I couldn't take notes. Yeah. Um, was that the scene when he comes back to the village and has the conversation with Victoria and we come back to that, but it's, she's great. So like there, there are things that get simplified, but then finding the things in the book to actually blow out and make more interesting um, and bigger, like the pirate ship. When they, and they weren't even pirates in the book. It was just like a flying, lightning-catching ship. Um, have you guys read the book? Raise, raise your hand if you read the book. Yeah. And so they spend all of like five pages, maybe. Not even that. Like three pages on this ship. Uh, and then in the movie, it's like a solid 20 minutes in the movie. And you get Robert De Niro. <laughs> you get Robert De Niro playing a, a, a cross-dressing gay pirate. <laughs> uh, it, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I love that so much. Um, anyway, so yeah. I, so is it a chance for him to improve his story or just tell it a little differently? You know, I think uh, you already hit on it there because you can see in the way they choose to explore different aspects and where they choose to expand. Because a lot of times rewriting existing pieces, there's only, there's a few things that are adjusted. But like for example, that very that very scene you're talking about. That's one of the few things where it's distinctly different between the two. With Victoria? Victoria, yeah, the, the closing sequence. Um, because uh, I will admit that that section shocked me a little bit because I'm used to his, you know, the, the conversation of get over yourself. And we see our grown you know, uh, hero coming to determine, you know, it's his moment to, to really show the measuring stick and be like, I'm, right. I'm a different person than I was. And in this one, she comes back, she's like, uh, you know, she's willing to live up to end her end of the word or to her bargain and everything. I was like, I don't, this, this is, this feels weird to me. This feels weird to me, but I think you're right. It is more nuanced. It's more interesting. Um, I want to know, but I'm curious as to what the reasoning is to make the shift on that piece. But then, you know, well, I need to tell more stories. <laughs> I need to show more of his growth. Uh, so I'm going to do that on the pirate ship where I haven't written a whole lot, hmm. if that makes sense. Well, I think I, it's probably with the the expansion of the ship, it can probably just be chalked up to that would look dope on screen. Let's do that. Let's do more of that, please. Right. And so the producers are like, can you expand that scene? 
Um, I, I don't think it has to be more complicated than that. Right? Well, and I know when listening to the book, I had a hard time following his growth. I don't feel like... Well, yeah, because you were sleeping. <laughs> I was probably the one that listened to most of the book. <laughs> anyway, but like, so he gets to the point where he's he's leaving, he's found the star, they're coming back, and supposedly he gets back, and I feel like the entire time he's with Yvonne, he's planning on marrying Victoria. Like, I'm, re- I'm going to bring her to to victoria and it's going to be this fantastic thing and then you get to the end of the book and all of a sudden he meets victoria and it's that quick moment which was jarring for me where all of a sudden he feels like oh i actually love evane and i don't really love you and i'm like where did that come from because i don't feel like there was much for me growth in their relationship through their journey well, and I feel like half the time like she was just the star she didn't even have a name and I'm like he never called her a vein for the longest time she she never even bothered telling him that she had a name like I had a hard time with their relationship to all of a sudden be like and now we're in love and we're going to go off and see the world and I'm like eh. so there there was a scene that, that was abbreviated. It, it's not like it was vastly expanded upon in the book, but it talks about their travels, especially after the airship, um, where they spent weeks, months on the road trying to get back to the wall. Yes, the book is definitely a lot longer process right, right. than the and movie so, is, And so but... you're right that we don't get a lot of specific scenes and conversations between the two of them. But he and does he's a tell, mouse for a half of it. But he, but so. he does tell us about, um, about them being in a position to fall in love. And then the moment when he is talking to Victoria and, you know, decides this is not the right route for me, it can come at you like that. I remember really specifically um, when I first met Sarah, my wife, um, she and I, well, we had met in person, but then we did a lot of like chatting online, AOL Messenger. (laughs) Okay, I'm old. Um, this is this is my version of online dating. Right? We would chat. We started chatting online, um, and, but she was dating like one of my best friends at the time, and I had my, you know, so that wasn't on my mind. But for like three or four days, we were chatting for hours, and I mean hours and hours, talking about absolutely everything. And I was in college at the time, and I remember walking to class. I was going to my Psych 111 class. And I remember vividly getting to the building and opening the door to go in the classroom and realizing that I was in love with her and that I wanted to marry her and that she was dating one of my best friends and that it was this disaster. And it it was like a bolt from the blue and I had a panic attack. I'm freaking out. Luckily, I was in a class full of Psych 111 students, so they knew exactly what to do. No, Quick, so, tell us about your mother! So, anyway, my, but my point just being, like, it, there was, like, that moment, and, and it hit me really, really hard. Uh, you know, and that's, you know, obviously, love develops differently. Like, that's, we, you know, we continue building a foundation, and I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, that's how love works or whatever. But there was that moment when I realized it. And then you can go back and look and say, oh, there was there were these moments. There were these things, the stepping stones toward that realization. And in hindsight, I can see those. 
And now if I bet if you go back and read the book, you'll see them. But what Neil Gaiman doesn't do is tell you, the reader, and thus it was that Tristran realized, oh, she's quite lovely. I think I may want to marry her. <laughs> like throughout the book, he doesn't have those moments. When did he become a Downton Abbey character? <laughs> Bridgerton. Bridgerton. Oh, sorry. He's Bridgerton. been watching Bridgerton. That's true. I do love Bridgerton. <laughs> Don't judge me. Well, no, go ahead. Go ahead and judge me. That's fine. Uh, season two is so good, you guys. It's so good. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I got caught up thinking about pretty people on Bridgerton. Where were we? <laughs> so, Furby, coming like from what you just said, Furby, I understand, like, Love can happen that fast. I'm not saying that I don't think what he's written is unbelievable. I just don't find it as a book as entertaining as getting a full story. I hear this argument a lot, and I'm going to regret bringing this up. But it's so do it. I know, but it's Twilight. Everyone complains about what a terrible protagonist that Bella is. No, but you were as, awake during this part of the conversation in the car. <laughs> yes, I was. <laughs> oh, yeah. But as a teenage girl, like Bella is written as a teenage girl, but everyone has this major complaint because she's a terrible role model for teenage girls. When you have Harry Potter coming out so, at the so same are time, other like girls. Hermione Granger's this strong teenage girl. And that's kind of where I'm feeling like with this book going, okay, yes, this is reality, but reality isn't always necessarily the best reading, I guess. Like the best thing I want to be thinking about involved. Right. You want, you want escapism. You're not looking like for my, realism. I don't want to put my time into it or something like that's kind hmm. of how I'm feeling with like, I can pull that argument from listening to all these complaints about twilight. And I'm like, well, that's life. Like that's a teenage girl when you're dealing with it, but she is, she's a terrible role model. No one wants a teenage girl to actually act like that. Like, yes, go jump off a cliff because a man left you. Like, so I don't know. Like, <laughs> that's, uh, that's how I live my life. <laughs> I, want, I actually kind of want to kick this one to the audience. I, I don't know. What do you guys like? Yeah. What? What? what how? How do we phrase this question? Is like, the Tristan and how do you feel about the Tristan and uh, Hibane's love arc, romance arc? Is it hit? Red. What do you think? Well, first of all, I'd like to say this is my favorite Neil Gaiman book. Ah, Red's favorite. I'm. I'm going to repeat a lot of what you say just because. <laughs> I don't know if the mic will pick you up, so we'll see. Okay, and um, if you read it a second time, you can see the very subtle shifts in the way they relate to each other throughout yeah. the book. Are you saying hashtag Craig is always right? She, she's saying no, do no this. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I am not saying Craig is always right. But I, I well, hang on, let her, let her finish. Well, no, but that I didn't let her finish, but you have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what I'm saying is that on the second reread, you see it. You don't see it in the first read. Like you're like, where did that come from? But when you read it the second time, you definitely see it. That's that's a good question. But we've we've brought that brought that up with other things, and that's like, well, then I have to dedicate two reads to this. To but wouldn't you this. just want to listen to his buttery voice again? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think this is definitely worth rereading. It's on its own. Finishing this first story, I would happily go back and read it again. If we listened to it on the way back home, I'd be like, okay, but I'd enjoy it. Like, <laughs> and this. we had this discussion. We'd sleep through that one too. <laughs> we had this discussion about Star Wars last night. So. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I think there's something to this I, this conversation 
um, it, it's worth having. There are there are people who enjoy rereads and people who want to hit it and quit it. Right, this, I'm out of here. This book would definitely um, not be on my reread list. Okay. I would have never gotten to a second read if it was just the book, like with nothing else on the outside world, no movie, nothing else. If I had just read this book, I would have been like, eh, and I would never look at it again. Right. This makes me sick. <laughs> but yeah, but there are people who who love to reread and those who don't. Um, does that? I don't know. I guess where's my brain going with this? Is that that's okay, right? There, yeah. That this is a book that was possibly written to be read many times. It's short enough, right? We're not asking you to to devote Stormlight time to the story of Tristan. Well, and I feel like a lot of Neil Gaiman's books. Are like they should be reread and but a lot because do of you his generally like style. to reread or is that something there are you, some, you like, avoid? I've mean I've gone through Wheel of Time twice now and I might do it again this summer. Like I listen to Ready Player One all the time. Like I don't have a problem with it if I've enjoyed the story. You just lost like half of our listeners. So. <laughs> I know, but I enjoy it, so deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things. Like if I don't enjoy it the first time. Why am I going to reread it? Yeah. But Neil Gaiman, I specific, I, I've listened to enough of his stuff that I feel like he's, he has that writing style that you can pick up those nuances, those small things that you don't get on the first. And that's just his writing style. And I can understand that as an author, like now having been involved with the podcast and everything that there are just authors out there that write those, those nuances that deserve a reread. Mm because of their style writing. Yeah. yeah, I think we've we've got a couple of authors in our past archive that probably deserve a treatment like this. Uh, Robin Hobb. But we've really locked in on the, you know, what we got caught up at the end of this, the, the love story, this didn't really pan out quite the way we were expecting and didn't feel there. I loved it. But well, yeah, that's, that's fine. But there is still, <laughs> there's still a ton about this book though. Other aspects that are fantastic that should grab you enough to make you want to read it again. I love each of the very different and varied side characters that we, that we meet. Uh, the three witches, uh, the witch queen, um, the, the should, little hairy man, the little hairy man, the Primus, second, uh, the, ghost the, brother, the ghost yeah. brothers, the, the, that are alternative, the Septimus, that even without knowing Stanley Tucci played Septimus in the movie, right? Even without having, no, no, Mark Strong, Mark Strong, thank you. <laughs> not Stanley Tucci. I was like, he has, he has a similar facial <laughs> yeah. structure. Yeah. yeah but with, even without having that, Septimus is such a fantastic villain. He's such a fantastic character in this. I I would reread it again to experience that portion of it again. I would reread it to follow the Witch Queen, um, to have all the little fairy tale nuance pieces of, you know, the 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 queen or the the princess turned into a bird who's a slave until there are two Mondays in a week, you know, two Mondays come together in a week. And the moon loses and her moon. child. Yeah, like these things paint up there are that is incredible art to be able to pull off so many varied pieces in this. And that is enough to draw it. That even though I'm, I may not have loved 
the way that that panned out and if it didn't connect with me the way it needed to, these other things did. Right. And I would happily go to go reread those. It's pretty amazing how much you packed into 200 pages, right? Anyway, I'm curious, uh, show of hands, rereaders love to revisit stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm getting a little shaky. Okay. But a lot of you, right, any like hit it and quit it in the audience? Yeah, yeah, a little, yeah, a little shaky. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think a lot, a lot of rereaders here. I think a lot of that though is determined by your first experience with a book or a series. How many times have I tackled Stormlight and Sanderson stuff? But for example, uh, based on prior Discord conversations, how many, uh, Jade War, <laughs> Jade City, or whatever it is, things like that. Jade, Jade City has gone from my Kindle. And <laughs> Your first I'm not the only one that got upset by that one. Yeah. You know, this is why Panda should stop recommending books to kids. So, <laughs> but it makes for great but episodes. That's, but I, I think there is, so we're talking about like the difference between if the book is good, you want to reread it, versus if it's bad, of course, I'm not going to reread it. I'm talking about there, there, your natural disposition is that I want to like this and reread most books, but my first experience with this has made it so I don't want to is kind of where that ends up being. But isn't there, like Schindler's List is a like worthy- Schindler's List reference in a few episodes. <laughs> you okay? <laughs> Schindler's List is a, is a great piece of art that you can just consume once and that's enough, right? Like, I guess my point is, we're kind of talking about it like, if it's good, you'll want to reread it. But not necessarily. Like, it, something being good doesn't mean that you want to revisit it all the time. Um, anyway, I, I don't know where we're going with this. So <laughs> maybe we switch switch uh, topics. Actually, I want to go back to the conversation. It's what do you get out of a reread? What do you, well, yeah, that's a good point. What do you get out of a reread? Yeah. Um, that's a great, yeah, exactly. There you go. Pithy, to the point. Thank you for Craig's next YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank you for becoming the next host of The Legendary. I'm out of here. Uh, what was uh, Oh, the conversation with Victoria. The reason I love it so much. Uh, we're always looking for these little like nuggets, the, the level three nuggets of wisdom that we can pull out of a story and, uh, and apply to ourselves or you know whatever. In the, so in the movie, I'm going to compare it to the movie because I think most people have seen that. In the movie, uh, he goes back to the village um, and he uh, goes to Victoria. And he tells her, yes, I found the star. And she kind of gets that look in her eye like, okay, take me now, Tristan. Like, and now I want you. Um, and he dips her like he's about to kiss her. And then he, he, she says, you know what I want? And he dips her to kiss her, but then drops her on the ground and says, yeah, I know what you want. You want to grow up and get over yourself. And it's this triumphant moment of like, look how much he's grown and look how vapid she is, whatever. And then the movie goes on. Uh, in the book, he goes and has this conversation with her. And <laughs> <laughs> it's <Welcome>. happening! <laughs> the change. <laughs> uh, in the book, he goes to have this conversation with her, and she he's been gone for like a year or two or nine or something. I, it's unclear. It wasn't totally clear in the book. Um, two years? Okay, somebody's telling me two years. So he comes back. She's now engaged to... The old shopkeeper guy, who, who's uh, Bob Monday. Bob Monday. I just call him Filth, right? He's the he's the old. No, never mind. Uh, so, <laughs> come on, Red. Um, 
He she's... slept through when you actually found out how old he was, so it's okay. <laughs> oh, is he not that old? I have no idea. I think I was <laughs> okay, you slept through. Yeah, you slept through too. <laughs> Luckily, Ryan, who was driving, was not sleeping through that part. We um, <laughs> Where you guys? This is this is even harder with a room full of people to like, keep my brain on track. Okay, like it's hard enough when we're alone in the studio. You want to be concise about your why you love the Victoria? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Victoria conversation. <laughs> She's going to marry this guy, uh, so she's kind of engaged, but she tells Tristran, which is very confusing, okay, now we're in the book, it's Tristran, uh, that you fulfilled your end of the bargain, and so I will too. I'll call off my engagement, and I will marry you. Um, because, And she says something like, because I feel like I'm responsible for what has happened to you. Um, and he says to her, no, I'm responsible for what happened to me. She didn't make him go on this quest. You know, he decided to, I mean, she was the reason he decided to, but he made that decision. Um, and I just, it's a great, great moment. Um, and it, it, just like in the movie, it does show his growth. Um, but it also, like I said, she's more interesting because she is actually, she feels as she should, some responsibility for this. Um, but, and I think that is right and proper and healthy for her, but it's also nice to see him take his own responsibility and say, no, 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 I made the decision to go. It's uh, taking responsibility, I guess, is all we need to, to go to for that. It's just like a, a life lesson. You, you, can't, you can't blame everything on, on somebody else Right. But they can share in your responsibility, maybe in some ways. I don't know. No, the, this ending makes her a good person, whereas in the other one, she's not like it's which is great. It's great. Yeah. Um, I do. Like, I, I've sat there and uh, since reading that the philosophy behind some of those, because I agree with the whole idea of Tristan being like, no, I, it's, it's my responsibility, my choice. I went on this quest, but also turning around and being like, yeah, so all that pain and anguish you felt for the last two years, totally unwarranted. Sucks to be you. You could have just married the guy. <laughs> like, oh, that's harsh. That's a little harsh. But Well, he, he's more charitable than well, yeah, our, our little uh, take on it. Yeah. Right? Anyway. Um, all right. What else should we talk about with Stardust? How long have we been recording, by the way? Do you have something? 33 minutes, 43 seconds, 44, 45. <laughs> 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 Riveting radio. <laughs> you asked. <laughs> um, all right. So, what else? Uh, what else do we want to talk about with this book? Septimus, the witch, Ditchwater Cell. Yeah. The how? Okay. I forgot how to podcast. So who's who's better, movie Septimus or book Septimus? I. Uh, um, I need to get a definition of better here. Um, I leave that to your interpretation. Um, because I think the... Why don't, why don't you explain to us the difference between the two? Uh, uh, okay, well, maybe I'll try. I'll try. <laughs> Book Septimus is... Uh, he, he doesn't have as much of a role. Um, yeah. He's kind of in the background. But he is. he seems much more sly. He's like a backstabbing thief in the night. Kind cunning of. versus evil. What? Right. Cunning versus evil because movie Septimus is like straight up 
evil. Evil, like right in your face, evil. That he, you know, the shoves his brother over the the, the balcony in the, the very beginning. Right. He's like, it's just you know, he will do whatever he has to do to win, uh, to to get the throne. And he's also the same in the book. I will do anything, but. I don't know. As Stephanie put it in so nicely in the car, at least he let his brother have sex before he killed him. Like, I don't know. He's more charitable. Like, I'm not sure how to do that, how to separate them. But I'm going to make sure you end up with a good-looking woman with some alcohol. Enjoy yourself, and then you will die. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were actually talking yeah. to Ryan. <laughs> if I gotta go, there's worse ways to go. <laughs> Uh, and I will poison you for it. <laughs> what, one thing that they do, they, they really blow out Septimus's role in, that's awkward, Septimus's role in the movie and give him the whole like death scene and the fight scene, the, the puppet scene at the end and all that stuff. Um, he, he meets a very anticlimactic end in the book. Everybody does. Who does? Right? Well, I don't know, like... A part of me feels like we're being a little unfair, constantly talking about the movie. And I think that's where I'm Why? like sitting like, I really wish that I could have just read this book and not dealt with the movie. And part of it is because I know we all really enjoyed the movie. Yeah. And so I don't know if my viewpoint of the book is all that fair because I'm sitting here going, okay, well, yeah, I think Septimus is kind of boring in the book because he has all these cool bits in the movie. Like, I think the witch queen is kind of boring in the book because she has this fantastic scene at the end in her house and she's battling and she's doing all this stuff where in the book, it's like, well, you won. Your heart's lost to me. I'm going to go off and disappear. Like, I'm like, well, that was kind of dull. Like, I don't know. I just... You, so, so you like the Marvel formula, like the, you know, or like Man of Steel. Which has that interminable fight scene. I never saw it. That's fine. You have I, seen it because you've seen any other movie. <laughs> right. I saw Stardust. <laughs> but no, like a, the Hollywood version of Septimus and the Witch Queen is you have to have the lasers and the battles and the explosions and the stabbings and the beheadings and the this and that. Everything like the big battle scene. Everything has to be big. And in the book, everything fizzles. Except for the love between... Tristan Which and I don't Yvain. feel started in the first place. So, <laughs> like, that's why I feel like I but, really feel like I'm doing it just almost talking about the book as a disservice for me because of my feelings towards the movie. I really wish I could just forget about the movie and delve into the book. Huh. I wish I could. I know. I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ryan, thoughts and feelings on that? Uh, not on that specific point. I, I don't know. Cool. Do you guys have any uh, any topics, questions, comments that you'd want us to address? Kip, what you got? So going back to the reread and the romance, like I feel like it's kind of common for romance to be something that you have to pick up on a reread. And is that fair to it? Hmm. Okay. So in case that didn't, in case the mic didn't pick it up. Uh, often romance feels like something you have to pick up on a reread. Is that fair to the romance? Yeah. Is that right? Or like what other things are generally shunted off like minor foreshadowing at most? Mm. <sighs> Good question. I, I, I agree with that. The idea that I hadn't really ever thought of that 
concept though, but especially where it's not a romance novel, if that's not its main drivers for you to see that, that it does become a uh, a lesser piece in a lot of things, you know, unless... Not always, but often. Yeah, unless it's your the driving force of the character, it's usually a secondary thing. And in some cases, that's really nice, you know, to not be beaten over the head with, you know, the way they're falling in love or anything like that. But in some cases, like, that's a very relatable and valuable piece of the story to put out there for people. And uh, is it fair to push it off to the side? I would say that as an author, you need to decide how much weight the romance carries in your in the piece going, like how much does this drive what happens? And if it crosses that threshold for you, then yeah, you definitely don't want that to be something that people are reading and going, oh, oh I, didn't, I didn't catch that. So if you're having people beta read or you're going through that and they're saying, oh yeah, I didn't really, I didn't feel like that relationship was organic or that that really happened that way. You should probably look and maybe maybe think another pass and dropping a little bit more uh, stronger scene work or, or a few more moments where you can see it a little bit more clearly. I, I, I'm sure it does feel that way, Kip, like it gets shortchanged, but I think that's understandable in that, you, like Ryan said, love is, it's, it, it's something that's relatable, These romances, it's relatable uh, because we all go through that um, at various points in our lives, but it's also extremely difficult to quantify and and to like it's relatable but it's difficult to relate it like it's difficult to convey how these things work it's kind of like um if if anybody uh, ever asks me why do you love your wife <laughs> or like why did you marry your wife you know why did you marry your wife because i love her why do you love your wife? You just quote Goodfellas. Great ass! <laughs> wow. That was, uh, that was Ryan James Bruckman. His email address, Ryan at the legendary... With his wife sitting next to him. <laughs> uh, no, but, like it, but it's an impossible question to answer. It, why, why do you love your wife is an impossible question to answer. And this is why we have things like poetry. This is why we have things like music to try to convey something that can't be properly conveyed. And so does it get shortchanged, Kip? Probably, but maybe it's just because it's so impossible to actually relate it. Whereas like man punches other man in face, that's a scene you can do. Like you can quantify that. Like you can you can describe the crunching of the bones and the you know whatever, uh, but you can't really you can't ever actually communicate what love means to you, um, and the, like the closer I would get to that for myself, the more it would fall flat for somebody else because love would probably mean something else to them. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this isn't making much sense, but it's maybe it's just too tough. I, I, it's too tough to do. I agree with I agree with the sentiment, but I also challenge it in a little bit in saying, "Show don't tell." And that's because how do how do you tell someone how much you love your wife? Whatever, it's really hard. But the show don't tell. So I will look at like my favorite romance, some of my favorite romance stories that we've read, things like this. I adore the romance arc in Warbreaker between the right right. Um, the God King and Siri. I love that Susan. one. Susan Braun, that's right. uh, Yeah. I love that so much because uh, as you, you see them, it, it never explicitly talks about, you know, 
her cheeks flip. Well, it does talk about some of those things. <laughs> For different reasons. We read the same book? For different reasons. You know, it, it, it's not so much about the love reaction, but it's watching their conversations. It's watching them develop together. It's watching those moments that you go, I see in this time together, it changed their next interaction and this next interaction. So I see how it develops and it showcases that. So that, that to me is an example of one that's done really well. There are, I'm sure, plenty of others that uh, fit that or fit the opposite there. Yeah. I, I agree. I love that book. I love that story. That's all great. Um, but, but yeah, I was going to say, where's this big buck coming in? Hmm. <laughs> say it again, Ryan. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but a lot of that story is them talking about it. They're talking about their relationship, a ton of conversation about that. Because they're they're put in a situation where that is necessary, um, where they, they have to. That that is less true to life. I love the story, don't get me wrong, it's a great story, but it's not as true to life as something like Tristan Tristan and Yvaine, who spend months and years on the road together to to come to the conclusion later that, oh, we're in love. They figure it out by the end of the story. The story isn't about them like analyzing their love and figuring out, you know, how are we going to deal with this situation? The story is about them having adventures together and then they come to that realization. It's, it's them getting to the door of their Psych 111 class and that's the end of the story. Um, mm -hmm. Like they figured out that they're in love. So you're talking about show, don't tell. I would argue that in Warbreaker, we get a whole hell of a lot of telling. Uh, I would disagree with and that. And in, uh, I'm not saying there's no showing. I'm just saying there's a lot of telling going on. Yeah, and in a, a story like this, in a story like this, it's it's almost entirely showing with very, very little telling. Um, if you, yeah. it, you know, for those who have eyes to see, let me see. It's there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> he's, he's just doing this to shut me up. <laughs> All right. Any, do you have anything else or should we kick it to an audience question? Stephanie? I think a part of it like looking at because I am a huge romantic in all phases of media. Like I love the romance stories and this was lacking so much for me and I think specifically in books that I have read, sex becomes an easy way to show the love between people. And I think like- Oh, okay. The I'm glad you said the love between people. Like all of a sudden it seems like you have this relationship that's, that's just there and then they sleep together and they're in love and they're like, because they slept together and there was this moment. And like, I remember reading- By the way, season two of Bridgerton is- <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uprooted. Where all of a sudden uh, Naomi we have these these two people that are spending all of this time together, and is I was this a like, spoiler mm -hmm. alert. Maybe. Yes. 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 Don't spoiler alert. Uprooted go back by Naomi Novik. Read it and then listen to the women's episode about it. <laughs> and then listen to this episode, okay? Lots of homework. <laughs> I know. It's a good book, but you have this relationship that's building between these two people, and I still remember I am driving down the freeway. 
and they get to this sex scene and I look down and I'm driving 90 <laughs> down the freeway because of this Life in the past <laughs> because of this sex scene I was like oh well that was on the graphic side but Were it was you like fanning yourself and like pulling over <laughs> but we and... talked about it in the the women's episode that we did that it came out of nowhere and then all of a sudden these two are in love and they want a relationship and that's kind of how I feel with this book where I'm getting nothing. You're not oh, telling me anything. I don't I think care. You're insane. No, I can't disagree more. I'm sorry. Go on. But, but I don't. On. I. It's so hard for me when you're not telling me what's happening in this two years that they just spent together. I'm getting these little bits and pieces of their adventure, but I'm not finding out what what they're doing to to build their relationship together other than they're spending time with each other. I have spent a lot of time with people that by the end of it, I was like, peace out. I cannot handle this she anymore. She looked right at me when she said that. <laughs> the fact is, is that Ryan's around and I can't get rid of you. <laughs> but, and so I think just spending, like the fact that they went on an adventure together doesn't lead up to a love. Like it, it doesn't give me that romance. There's nothing yeah. there. And I keep going back. One of my favorite moments in the movie is on the pirate ship when they're dancing together and she starts shining. Lovely. And I, it's just this beautiful scene. And you're like, okay, this is the moment where you can see that they're finally, there's a connection between the two of them. And I'm missing those moments in the book. So by the end when he's like, and now we're going off. I was like, yeah, you just skipped over some really cute, like, strong moments you could have had in writing this relationship. So I do believe like romances get, if it's not a romance book, it's like, we're going to do this because you have to have some sort of relationship building in these books, but I don't want to get those on a, a reread. I want those moments to be a part of your story. Like if you're going to have a romance in your story, put it in the story. Mm. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Agree to disagree. 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 <laughs> hard. All right. Any other comments, questions, musings? No? So I have a question. Oh, okay. Red's got one. Um, the movie is very overtly American funny. Oh, uh, yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. The, the book is... British funny. British funny. And what do you think about okay. the difference between... Do you think... I just... How do you feel about that? Okay. So Especially she said the, the book the is notes. British funny. The movie is American funny. Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's perfectly fair. Yeah. Ryan, you're nodding. You have thoughts? All right. <laughs> We've eaten a lot today. It's hard for him to get up off this couch and get to the microphone. Uh, no, so I think this is actually, I, I love this discussion because I'm, I'm actually about to start directing a British comedy. And one of the biggest things I have to do is find actors who understand the difference between American comedy and British comedy and how to con convey it to an American audience. Because if you just throw it straight British to them, a lot of people are like, that's just, I don't understand why that's funny. And you're like, yeah, I, I know you don't. Um, uh, I, this is kind of going back to a lot of the little moments where Neil Gaiman writes those quirky, the one-liners, the little like things like that, that feel very British. I think that uh, I really, I really wish and hope that someone who's reading this can understand and has a has an at least a base level of understanding of British comedy because it does become a better piece when you understand that. Um, and yeah, the movie it's made to have success in an American audience, so they they shifted it. That's why it's that's why De Niro. Stone. Yeah, 
this is why this is why the De Niro portion and everything is is played the way it is, and that it it works both, but it's a little bit different um, doing that way. I I don't know. I, I hadn't really thought a whole lot about that variation in it, but thinking back now to listening and watching it there, that I think that that would affect most people's enjoyment of the book if they're not used to understanding British comedy. I I love British comedy stuff. I think it's I think it's a high art to be able to make comedy out of repressing all of your everythings because that's what the style is. <laughs> and I think it's funny because thinking back at some of like the TV shows I've watched, like what is it, Ghosts? Oh yes. I don't know. Has anyone seen Ghosts? It's an HBO, HBO Max. Max. It started as a British as a British comedy. It's on BBC. And it is hilarious. America decided to take it on and tried to create their own TV series and it sucks. <laughs> because the comedy is just it's not the same and it doesn't read well in our American culture, but as a British comedy, it's hilarious because you have those repressed weird like it, it's moments. based very much on culture shocking this. And that's why an adaptation uh, it would be really interesting to kind of break down and look at Stardust through this lens specifically, yeah. um, because normally when you adapt something from one comedy style to another, uh, comedy styles really are difficult to transition into other comedy styles, um, just because they're so based on you know timing or cultural understanding or uh, understandings of a truth in a specific way. And so uh, why was the success of a star, Stardust movie that was a little more Americanized in its, its styling so good uh, in comparison to the success that it's had as a book in British comedy? I would, that would be, someone who's a lot smarter than I am should do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's a great question. I, I'm not prepared to answer it. It would take a reread with that we, in mind. Right, and I would want to do it. I would want to actually read the book instead of doing the audiobook and actually take notes about certain lines and whatnot. And I obviously wasn't in a position to do that on this read through. But I think it's it's a it's a good point. The way that you guys are talking about it though does make it sound like British humor is superior. <laughs> and I think it can be often, but American humor is also good like when it's well done it's really well done yeah. like that kind of uh slapstick robert de niro stuff um i i think it i think they just did a bang up job uh adapting this one to film and making it a little bit different yeah i think it it would be better to state and this is this is 100 percent my opinion my take whatever you think here i think it is harder not necessarily because it's a higher art for me. I think it is harder to take British comedy and transition it into an American comedy style than it is to take an American comedy style and take it and, get it and play it to a British audience. Hmm. That makes sense. Well, I mean, that's probably just a, by virtue of the fact that they get so much of our media and we don't get all of their media. Right. I, I would point as a as a case study for that, The Office. Right. That's what I was going to bring like, to. Yeah, it's it was wildly successful in its British run for its little period of being in terms of what it did. And then as soon as it came over to America and became what it became there and then transitioned back, it was even more successful. But like I said it's it's our biggest it's our biggest export, I guess. Right. Know, our yeah. entertainment, Culture so. and entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, any final thoughts, feelings, Panda? So Gaiman acknowledges that Stardust is very different from his other works. Mm -hmm. And if you've read 
fairly extensively of his works. Would you say like Stardust is a good place to start to get into gaming or no, don't start here because it would be so different. Okay, so yeah, all right. So Panda says uh, gaming acknowledges that this is very different from the rest of his stuff. Do you think this is a good entry point for Neil Gaiman? I haven't read him extensively enough to answer that intelligently, but I like it and I recommend it. I don't know if I recommend it as a starting point uh, for him, but what do you guys think? As long as you provide the ca that caveat that it's going to change, I think it is a good because it's a it's a short enough read. It's still a really good story. It's piece there. Um, but if they expect his other works beyond that to have that same feel, like like, hey, go ahead and read Stardust, and then here's the Neverwhere. Um, they're going to what's this? Or you know, hand him Good Omens right afterwards. Saying, Wait, what? What? <laughs> what am I dealing with here? Um, I think uh, I know the audience you're going to pitch it to, but if they, if you give them that caveat, like this is this is a sample of it. It's a really good one, and it is a good one to read there. But if you want to get a taste for what his whole works uh, are like, I would be more inclined to hand them something else of his. Um, like, uh, I I really like the Neverwhere as a as a good connection point. Um, and Neverwhere and Good Omens are kind of the two that of his works that I said the most. I recently went through his um, the the Sandman graphic novel series. The thing is, he also has so many different mediums that he works in that you can find stories there. Uh, Coraline, uh, whether you his those pieces like there's there's tons in there. So I if I were to try and get someone into gaming specifically, I would need to know. Like what do they love? Oh, you're you're into the more the horror genre type thing. Yeah, I'm gonna hand you Coraline stuff, and I want you to to look into that. And then we'll go from here, and we'll build a map as to into his other works. Oh, you like comedy? You're more in this. I'm gonna give you Good Omens with his work with Pratchett, and then I'm gonna have you read both Pratchett and him separately, so you can start to see their influences in each one. Because that was one of the hardest things for me after reading Good Omens uh, was going and reading a Terry Pratchett afterwards and going, well, this who wrote what in this book? <laughs> because. <laughs> I, I couldn't separate it for a while, but the more I've read of each one, I'm like, okay, now I can understand a little bit more of the styles of each individual author as compared to that initial uh, you know, amalgamation of both of them. So but yeah, if I had to give someone a starting point, just a generic, yeah, game, whatever, I would probably throw them to the Neverwhere. Which sounds very ominous. <laughs> I All have right. my computer with that at work. So whenever IT head comes in, <laughs> I'm like, uh, who's got the Neverwhere? <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> Um, cool. I think we better call it there. I've been going for a little while now. So uh, thanks everybody who's listening at home. I hope this audio worked out. Uh, we'll know if you're listening to this, you'll know that it did. And if it didn't, you know, whatever. Uh, so yeah, thanks everybody for listening and thank you to our live studio audience. Uh, glad to have you guys here. Um, this, this pitch will probably hit a little differently to this room, but please go to the Patreon. <laughs> Donate to the cause, patreon.com slash legendarium. You can find all the links at uh, thelegendarium.com, where you can also find the link to, say it with me now, Discord. Discord. All right, so uh, the, the greatest corner of the internet ever created. Yeah, sure. Uh, it's our Discord. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. I'm sticking with it. Uh, so yeah, please join us on Discord. We'd love to hear from you there. If you uh, if you've always been shy about uh, piping up online because on uh, because online is very scary. I agree. 
Our Discord is not, and you'll, you will receive a very warm welcome, and you will enjoy it, I promise. So I'd love to see you there. All right, everybody, thanks for coming, and uh, I guess we'll see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>